Good morning. It's great to see you this morning in worship. I'm going to start this uh, today by sharing with you one of the dumbest moments I've ever done, dumbest things I've ever done in my life. So I'm a little worried that when I share this story with you, some of you are not going to look at me the same after I'm done. But um, the first, uh, first church uh, that I was pastor at um, was in Columbus, Indiana. And we lived in town. And there was a convenience store about two blocks down from our house. And my habit would become to, to get up in the morning. And, and before I'd go uh, uh, to work, I would, uh, I would drive down there a lot of times and get something to drink. Uh, most of the time it was Coke, which uh, is a bad idea in the morning, evidently. Um, my doctor said my liver could not keep up with that. Uh, Coke in the morning, first thing. So, but that's what I would do. And uh, One particular morning, it was in the winter. It was cold. Uh, and so everything frosted over, you know, like it does. And, and we, my car wasn't in the garage. And uh, so I'm hustling, bustling to get out of there. And, and uh, I realize when I go outside that the car is, is frosted over. And I'm thinking, I don't have time for this. So I turn my car on real fast. I go back in, but I get impatient. And I decide, you know what? I can do this. I, uh, I'm just going. And I get out in, in my car, and I've got a hole about this big. <laughs> but I'm thinking, you know what? <laughs> I, know this, I know this road. I've been down this road so many times, I can do this, no problem. Dumb, dumb thing, right? So I pull out, I get to the four-way stop. Of course, you know, I was probably, if you could have seen in the car, it was probably really comical because I'm like driving, trying to see, you know, and I turn right and go down. I, I made it through the four-way intersection. I was able to see if I didn't pull out in front of anybody or whatever. I'm driving like this, and the convenience store has an in and an out driveway. And so I go to turn in to the convenience store. And I lost my bearings. I didn't realize. I turned too wide. And I have that awful sound <laughs> of, yes, crunch. And the crazy thing is I don't even know what I've done. I open the door, and I have turned too wide into the out, and I have ran into the side door of a big old Vectron truck, electrical company powered power truck. I'll never forget the look on that man's face, as long as I live. He opens his door, he's looking down at me because he's elevated, and the look of sheer incredulousness on his face, like, what are you doing? There's a whole lane right there. And I know, he's, I know he said, you know, you've ruined my day. I got to report this. But the first thing he did, he looked at me, and he goes, basically, dude, clean your windshield off. <laughs> you know, I've thought about that before, and I knew I had been down that route how many times? I knew, I knew it inside and out, I thought. But without the ability to see, 
it became really, really difficult. And in fact, it became hazardous. And what I thought I knew and what was familiar to me without the ability to see it caused, it cost me a couple hundred dollars in an insurance claim to fix my car. You know, we, uh, God's given us the ability to, to have vision. I think it's the, I think if you had to take my senses away from me, I think the last one I'd want you to take would be my eyesight. I just, I think I could live without smell, I could live with it, but eyesight, it's just, wow. It's ability to have vision. But you know, as God's unique creation as human beings, God has not only given us the ability to have vision through the physical eyes, but he's wired us to have the ability to have vision beyond what we see and what our eyes witness. We use that word a lot in vision, correct? The ability to see what could be. Or as one of my favorite definitions of vision is, Andy Stanley says, it is vision is a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. Vision is a preferred future. It's not only seeing what can be, but it then so grabs a hold of me, this mental image, that it becomes a conviction to me of what it should be. And I believe that one of my roles as a pastor is to call people, call us to be people who live with vision. You personally need to live with vision in your life. Uh, P.K. Bernard says this, a man without a vision is a man without a future. And a man without the future will always return to his past. And I feel like one of my roles is to call us to be people who have vision, who see what can be and, how, and, how, and have a conviction that so grabs us that this is what should be. I can't go anywhere else until this happens. You know, the scriptures, they're visionary writings. They are absolutely God's vision to, to show us about what he wants to do, what he can do, and what he wants to do, and as we allow his vision for our life to come in, it fuels us with conviction that now says, you know what, I see what can be, and this is what needs to be, it should be, and it causes us to become people that we never would have been, but it starts with vision, right? This clear mental image of what can be. You know, think about the, the, the high schooler the kid that just graduated from high school who decides to, to join the military, the army. And um, some of you have been there, right? <laughs> and um, he, as soon as he steps off the boot camp bus when he gets there, the sergeant starts yelling at him, right? As soon as he gets off the bus, they're yelling at you. They're yelling at you all the way to the barber shop to get a new haircut. They're yelling at you every morning, up early in the morning to exercise with somebody screaming at him and talking to him about his mother. (laughs) Just a month before, this kid has just been in high school. He would have never tolerated that kind of yelling, 
that kind of verbal, I don't, I don't want to call it abuse, but <laughs> some of you would say, yeah, it was abuse. <laughs> yeah, verbal encouragement. You'd have never tolerated it, right? Would not have put up with it from your classmates or teachers. But because, but his whole mindset's changed, right? He's willing to endure this cross because of the joy that he knows that will happen beyond that. He knows that boot camp is preparing him for a greater destiny. His vision of the future is giving his present physical discomfort meaning and purpose. You see, that's the way vision operates in our lives. That when we begin to see what could be, we get an image, and the scriptures are visionary. They are showing us what can be and what should be. We begin to be able to live through whatever because we realize it's bringing about purpose and meaning for our lives. And so, I would say personally, you need vision. But churches need vision. Where are we supposed to be? What are we, where are we supposed to go? How do we get there? And so, you know what? We're gonna make space for vision every year. We're gonna make space for vision as a church every year. And guess what? As we keep going forward, you're gonna be part of helping form that vision. It's gonna be us together realizing, seeing through lots of different things, realizing where does God want us to go? Who should we be? What do we need to do? And how do we get there? But you know, I want this first vision series um, to be something that I call core vision. Um, it's primary to any vision, I believe, as a church. Uh, these aren't specific goals. These aren't, these aren't fleshed out. This isn't uh, so our vision is to see this happen. These are like core values to every vision any church should have. And I believe core value to any vision that you should have. This is the foundational piece. You know, this has come through, you know, 10 years of, or more than 10 years now of, of ministry, just trying to figure out what, what, what are you doing, God? What do you want to do with us? What do you want? And uh, just through the years, these have kind of settled down to me that these are the foundational things that are the core of any vision that I could ever have. What God wants to do with me, uh, and being so convicted by what he wants to do with me that I get there. This is primary. This is core to that. And if you're like me, I need short, simple stuff. Um, I just need to be able to grab stuff that I can, I can remember easily. And so for me, the way I understand this and what is primary core is in these three questions that I believe uh, are the core to any vision a church or a people should have. And it's this way. These questions. Did you worship? Did you worship? I asked myself that. Did you worship? How did you connect? And where did you serve? Did you worship? How did you connect? Where did you serve? Or three words. Worship, connect, serve. By connect, I mean maybe for some of you, disciple. Worship, disciple, serve. I think the scriptures are boiling it down to what does God foundationally want to do in my life? These three things are operating. They're there. Um, I would actually challenge you. And I, I don't want to say a guarantee, but um, 
But if you would answer these questions on a consistent basis, yes. Did I worship? Yes. Was I connected? Did I serve? Or did I serve? Yes, yes. I truly believe that the plan that God has for your life will be accomplished. And the relationship that you have with the Lord will grow and you will, be, you will become the person God has designed for you to be. If these questions are answered on a habitual basis in your life, a consistent basis. And so that's what this is all about. Worship, disciple, serve. The cool set, you guys like the set? Um, I think we just ought to say, uh, just recognize those people, Ben and all those guys. They, every, every series, we have something great, don't we? Let's just say thank you to them for... <clears throat> we want to tackle worship today, talk about worship. I would, before I go into that, I love what Rick Warren says, piggybacking off what I just said. People will give mental and verbal assent to what you are told. So like maybe even now, you've shaken your head. Yeah, I believe that. I see that. I know that. But they will hold with conviction what they discover for themselves. You'll assent to what I'm saying, but you will hold with conviction what you discover when you experience it yourself. And so my, this series is more than just, hey, let's throw out some good ideas and, hey, that's cool, yeah, wow, yeah, I get that. Sounds good. I really passionately am hoping, praying that these questions grab a hold of your life and you take them on as a challenge and say, you know what? I'm gonna give God a year of just being able to consistently answer those questions. Was I consistently worshiping? Was I consistently discipling? Was I consistently serving? And I almost want to say, hey, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you'll come back and say, wow, I cannot believe the person God is continuing to make me in and what kind of purpose and meaning he is giving to my life. And so we want to tackle to worship today. If you were to define worship, it's simply honor and adoration directed toward God. But really, the ultimate priority of scripture is worship. All throughout it, we, are, we see the call of God to worship him to give him honor and adoration. Now that encompasses a lot more than just words. And the scriptures place this huge, but really it's, it's the call of the people of God to be people who worship God. Um, you know, heaven right now is characterized by what? Worship. Worship. Uh, it's worship. Worship is one of the, it's the characteristic of heaven is worship. Guess what it's going to be when you and I get there. It's going to be worship. There's something about this dynamic of worship. In fact, T.F. Torrance says that worship is the exercise of the mind in the contemplation of God in which wonder and awe play an important role in stretching and enlarging our vision of who he is. You see, God created us with this innate desire and this inherent purpose to worship. We were created to worship. And I would say today, you are worshiping something. You're worshiping something because that's exactly how we're reconstructed to be. You might be worshiping self and that comes out in, in the symptoms of your life where things like status are the thing that you pursue more than anything else. Money, maybe you worship that. 
You worship self, you worship money. It becomes the thing you pursue more than anything else. Pleasure, comfort, what you worship dictates your actions and consumes your time and energy. It's just the way we are constructed. We talk about today a lot in America about consumerism, right? And now we even, even outside of the church, we recognize we're a country that consumes a lot of stuff, right? Guess what? That's not gonna go away because we, we are built to worship, to consume something. We're doing that, right? That's, we're, we're headlong after this or that because we're just people that wanna worship something. Or you're worshiping God. And in that, you're fleshed out where, through a life that's following his purposes and his plans. And so what is it about worship? What do I need to know? Well, I would say that worship is, like Thomas Carlyle says, wonder is the basis of worship. There is mystery in worshiping God. There is something that is not tangible. It's not seen. It's, that's why people are like, I don't get why you do that. You can't see him. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's, but there's something mysterious to worshiping God. But in that mystery, it pulls out of us this innate desire we have to have wonder about something. That's why we keep exploring the stars. That's why we keep searching the planets. That's why we keep pushing to, because we wonder. We want to see. There's one, there's some, and worship of God, there is inherent in it mystery. It's wonder. It's like this. I would say it's the paradox of Christian worship, uh, what I would call it. And it's this, that we seek the invisible, we know the unknowable. We comprehend the incomprehensible. We experience the eternal. And God has called us, initiates us, created us with this innate desire to worship and worship. I believe it's only satisfied when we are worshiping him. When we're seeking that which we can't complete, which we can't see. When we're, we're trying to know that which is so vast, it's beyond our realm of, of knowledge. It's incomprehensible. It's, it's experiencing eternal things is inherent in the worship of God. In scripture, you see words that are the way that worship is categorized or it's presented to us. It's in attitudes and it's in actions. It's words that mean awe, reverence, respect, toward God, an attitude toward God of this, but it's action also toward God of bowing, of praising, of serving. And I believe that our church, our role as a church is to be a vehicle, to be a platform, to provide opportunities for you and me to be energized to continue our lifelong worship our lifestyle of worship of God. That's one of the things that we are here to do. That's in the vision of this church, is to create a platform, a place that you come in and you are re-energized to continue your lifestyle of worshiping God. Amen? Amen. Three of you are with me still, so we're on. I'm teasing. <clears throat> you know, in this whole dynamic of talking about worship, guess what we have on staff? We have a worship pastor, Ben. And so I said, hey, man, why don't you, uh, or why don't, why don't we do this together? And um, so he's gonna, he's gonna continue moving the ball down the, the field 
as far as what does worship mean? What does it do? How does it act? So I, I joked about this first service. We have a whiteboard in Chip's office, and it's kind of where he draws out kind of sermons and big points and ideas and things. And so we're kind of dissecting it, talking about who's going to talk about what, what are, what are the most important things. There's so much to talk about. He says, when you start, why don't you just talk about the, just, just take us through the entire history of worship. Give us biblical themes all the way from Moses all the way till now. <laughs> so in three minutes, here you go. <laughs> No, I just want to set up a little bit the, the context of sacred worship and, and where we've been and kind of where we are now. And so we'll, we'll kind of go all the way back to the Exodus and Moses. And, you know, Moses is, is leading the people in the wilderness, and God reveals himself to them, and God reveals the law to them, and he reveals what they are to do, how they are to worship. And uh, so uh, the, one of the places that they worship, the Kind of what the the three main things I want to I want to mention, with with the time when Moses and his people worshipped was there was a sacred space, there were sacred rituals, and there's a sacred ministry or ministers. And what I mean by that is he instructed that only the Levites were able to to minister over the people. They were the ones that were to they were the only ones allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, and they were the ones that were, um, they basically represented the entire nation of Israel, and they led the worship services. Um, sacred rituals. Um, these are the, the sacred offerings and sacrifices that were, were to be made. If you did this, you have to sacrifice that. If you did this, you have to give that. And, and it was a, a very do-do-do kind of, kind of way to worship. Um, and finally, sacred space. And this is, uh, this, is the, this is where the Holy of Holies was. This was the center of the camp in Moses' time. This was the temple in, in, in uh, Solomon's time and when, the, when uh, the people of Israel resided in Jerusalem. So I have a few pictures. And just to give you some images, I'm a visual guy. So uh, first off, this would be... Um, you know, an image of, of the tabernacle, the, the tent that they that they would go where the where the holy of holies was, and where the priests were allowed in, and it was central to the camp. Wherever they were, they would that's that was central to the camp. And uh, moving on, later on, as the people are established in in Jerusalem, we see again kind of the same structure, but uh, um, more grandeur, I guess. And this is temple and. And uh, tabernacle and temple temple worship were, were really similar. It just kind of kind of changed the the look of it, I guess. Once uh, Solomon built that temple for God, and so moving out of that, we see uh, synagogue worship in Scripture. And synagogue worship is uh, really they they didn't have any set rituals. They didn't have any any um, any any things that they. Uh, had to do there, but it was more of focusing on preserving and reading and understanding the Word of God. It was uh, um, it was an affirmation of faith. Uh, that's that that's kind of how they would um, you know begin their time of worship was you know love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. An affirmation of faith. Then they would move into a time of prayer where uh, you know prayer for wisdom and understanding and forgiveness, and and then they had. Uh, uh, reading of scripture and the Torah, and um, then they would have teachings. And so that's kind of the structure of uh, synagogue worship. And uh, in a lot of ways, I feel like the church today 
we, we kind of hold a lot of those elements in the way that we worship as well. And so, you know, fast forward 2,000 years since Christ and the evolution of the church is there's still four things that, um, that we can identify that are, that are uh, key when we come together in corporate worship. Uh, singing, prayer, reading of scripture, and, uh, and teaching. And so, you know, those, those things we bring before God. We, we celebrate uh, what he's done, who he is in our songs. We uh, uh, pray to God. We come before him corporately together uh, to, um, you know, to, to offer up uh, thanks, but also to pray, again, for wisdom, understanding, guidance, those types of things. Uh, of course, we, we open up the scriptures and we, we teach from scripture. And so those things really... Uh, um, are, I believe, the core of, of what Scripture says as the church today, those four things, um, you know, corporate worship should possess. A couple other things that we celebrate in our sacraments, baptism and communion. And baptism is this outward profession of, of faith, of something that's happened internally, and, and you're, uh, you're making it public, you're making it known. Another one is communion, when we come together and uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper and... and uh, just remember all that he's done for us. And so, you know, those are the things that all those kind of pieces kind of fit into the corporate gathering uh, where we are today. And uh, <clears throat> so I just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about just the, the function of that. What does it look like lived out? What does it look like, you know, in corporate worship doing those, those, those things? Uh, John 4, uh, start 24, it says... Uh, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we see right there that, that we worship him in spirit and in truth. And right there we're seeing balance. We're seeing the importance of having um, a balanced approach in worship. And I would say that that balance is subjective experiences versus objective truth. Okay, so we have subjective experiences of worshiping in spirit, and we have this objective truth, worshiping in truth. And uh, these two together make this beautiful harmony of, of what it looks like uh, to worship God. Um, if, we, if we don't submit ourselves to objective revelation of the word of God, then uh, worship doesn't have a foundation. We don't have anything that we're based in because it's it's all just spiritual, experiential stuff. There's nothing to be there's nothing to be grounded in. But at the same time, if if we only approach worship with objective truth and knowledge and just understanding, and yes, I, I have this doctrine and I know it, but then we don't allow our hearts to get impacted by it. Then again, we're out of balance, and we we have this objective truth that we hold, but but we're not subjecting it to the experience that we can have through the Holy Spirit and what he's trying to tell us maybe, what he's trying to reveal to us during that time. So corporate worship is, is a, a big balance of all these things. Um, another thing I would add is that because each of us are on a different, a different journey, some of us have been Christians all of our lives, some of us uh, that means a long time, some of us that means 20 years or 10 years or maybe five years, is that no two people have the same worship uh, experience, okay? So, you know, I, I experience one thing, you may experience another. We still, we still proclaim truth that was on the screen. We still sang it. We still um, proclaim objective truth, but at the same time, maybe the Spirit's 
saying something to me and he's saying something totally different to you. Maybe I'm coming in and I have heavy heart and I'm, you know, I've got a lot going on and I'm saying, God, I just need direction. I just need, you know, and so during that time, you know, that's what we're seeking from the Lord and Holy Spirit divide, uh, gives that to us. Maybe someone else, it's like, man, it's just, I just want to come in and celebrate all that God's doing in my life. And so you see we have these, these, these two totally different experiences from the same time of worship. And so um, I would say that, that, that worship is, is personal, but at the same time corporate. It is objective and subjective. It is experience and in truth. It's a balance. Also, it's important to remember the, the balance of who God is. God is both transcendent above all things. He's sovereign. He is um, above all, but at the same time, he's near. He, uh, that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh to draw near to us, to be close to us. That's why after Jesus Christ ascended that we receive the Holy Spirit is because of this nearness, okay? And so when I, when I approach, you know, maybe putting a, a set together on Sunday or uh, something, I'm constantly trying to juggle these things because my philosophy is that what we sing about God shapes what we believe about him. And so if I'm always singing songs of, you know, God is high and mighty and too extravagant to understand, which is true, that, that may lead me to a place where I might not feel near to God because you know, he may seem distant then. But at the same time, if, if we always sing, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend songs and just songs about how much we love him, you know, then, then we, we void ourselves of that, that, that awe and reverence that we should have with him. And so constantly, God is this perfectly balanced God who is both transcendent and he is both near. And, you know, and so those are the things that are kind of going through my mind as we, as we shape a worship experience. Um, is is constantly balancing that, knowing, um, knowing to to have the right the right balance of that, knowing that that shapes what we believe. I would also say that, that worship is a sacrifice. Worship is sacrificial. Um, you know, Chip talked about it a little bit, but you know, he mentioned it first service, where he said, uh, you know, you can show me your wallet and your and where you spend all your time. And I'll show you what you worship and what you hold biggest priority. And worship is a sacrifice. Um, I like this definition. It says, sacrifice is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. And so, you know, going back to uh, the Old Testament, we see that, you know, God would only accept uh, unblemished animals, perfect, perfect sacrifices, um, in the way that we were able to deliver them. Well, perfect, those animals were very valuable in what they could produce, what they could give mankind. So, you know, you see God get very frustrated and furious with his people when they bring a limp animal or something that wasn't. And so here they are, sacrificing something that is good for something that's greater, to be right in the eyes of God. And that's what, that's what sacrificial worship is. And so Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2 tells us, Therefore I urge you, brothers, to be a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. This is holy and pleasing to him, to be this, this living sacrifices. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so here we see that this transformation happens in our mind, that uh, worship, 
sacrificial worship means transformation of our mind to think differently, to, uh, to worship differently, to live differently. And so, um, so ourselves is one thing that we give. And one way that we give that is through our praise, words of praise and worship. That's what we do here, but also worship lived out. It's uh, proclaiming the lordship of God at home, in our families, at, uh, you know, at our workplaces, with our friends. And sometimes that can be sacrificial. Sometimes that can be something that uh, you know, may uh, hurt some relationships. But it's a sacrifice because this is, who, this is who I've identified myself with, is being near to God. So back up a little bit. First Peter 2.5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices except, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so we are the new temple, giving sacrifices to God. Another thing that, that sacrifice, uh, another way that that looks is through a prayer. It's carving time out to humble ourselves before God, to seek him when we could be doing a million other things. We could be uh, emailing, doing the dishes, cleaning, getting something ready, uh, texting, looking at social media, whatever, but it's, it's saying no because I'm going to sacrifice this for something greater, and that's because I know that I need to be in the presence of God. I need to quiet myself so that he can speak to me and, and, and uh, I can have this you know, subjective experience with him through his spirit to tell me, um, you know, what he wants to say, basically giving him time. Another thing I would say is, uh, you know, we sacrifice by, by serving or by, uh, by coming to corporate worship. Corporate worship is, the, is one of the biggest ways that we can sacrifice something good for something greater, and that's being in a fellowship with other believers, and that's... Um, growing it's encouraging like you mentioned at the beginning you didn't know what it was about when you were young but but because you were in that environment and you you just knew something was happening and so it's it's sacrificing that i'll tell you that i'm a testimony my parents no matter what was going on in the week sunday morning was happening and sunday morning we were in church no matter if there was a wedding the, the night before and we were up late or whether there was uh you know, something going, something else going on, is I knew without a doubt, because my parents lived out their values, they didn't just talk about them, and their values were to be in church on Sunday, to be with the body of believers, to be in community, and so, uh, you know, I guess my, my question to you is, you know, is corporate worship and is, uh, you know, this whole thing of core values, you know, identifying our core values, and if values are really what we live out rather than what we say, you know, do, those, do these core values line up with your personal life? If does, uh, you know, is church second rate? If there's, uh, you know, if it's the first Sunday, NFL Sunday, and you want to watch pregame, is church second rate? Uh, what about... Uh, you know, your kids, do they know it's a pri what's a bigger priority? Is it sports or is it church on Sunday morning? Um, other hobbies. And so that was something when I was very young that uh, I knew without a doubt that we were going to sacrifice some things because one of our core values was we were going to be in corporate worship uh, with other believers.
So I guess my, you know, my challenge, I guess, is, uh, you know, is worship a sacrifice to you, and, and what does it cost? <clears throat> I'll tell you, I love this, because uh, he's, uh, he's having to uh, experience what it is to, like, get through material in a timely manner. <laughs> so this is paying dividends for me way down the road. Because the worship guys are always like, hey, you're going too long. They don't really mean that. They, they don't. We joke about it, you know, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I'll just get you up there and see how you get through it. <laughs> so this is, I love this. This is, you know. But really, the end game, the takeaway, worship is something that God initiates. He's created us with. We've seen how it's always been a part of his story with his people. Um, what it looks like, as, as Ben has talked about. That's some great stuff, objective truth, subjective experience, nearness, transcendence. That idea of sacrifice, that worship is, is coming and bringing, the sacrifice of praise, our lips, the whole idea. Um, but what, what do I want you to, what do we want you to walk away with? And that is, if God initiates worship, he's created it for us and he showed us what it looks like that the end game is that worship calls for our response. Worship calls for a response. It's a response is what worship is. A response to the goodness and the greatness and grace, the character of God. I like what Robert Weber says. This is so true. Worship is a verb. Worship is a verb. It's not something that's done for us or to us, but by us. You got that? That's good stuff right there. Worship is my response. So I didn't come this morning and is Ben gonna play my favorite song? Because if he doesn't, I'm gonna be I'm just gonna be a little bit irritated. I'm not, I'm not, you know, or why do they do that song? I don't like that song. Or I'm just going to come. No, the idea is the call of worship as a lifestyle. It's a response to God. But corporately, it's a response to God. It's, listen, I'm not coming to, to get something. Oops. Because I've thought that way at times. I'm going to go get something and worship. No, I'm coming to give something. That's my praise, my adoration, my heart and worship to him. And you know what happens? It's just like everything else good in life. That when you give something, you get something. And the platform for us as a church, worship is important to us. Corporate worship is important. It's a core value. We, we, we believe in what we do here. Because we believe it's a place where you and I come together and give ourselves in worship and praise. And in that, we are re-energized to live out a lifestyle of worship. Like he shared, I shared in the first service. I remember as an impressionable eight-year-old boy, 10-year-old boy, 12-year-old boy, through those years, I remember going to church and not quite understanding what it was all about just to be honest. I mean, I knew the whole Jesus died on the cross thing, but, you know, really, I didn't. But you know one thing that always has stuck out to me and stood out to me and really was uh, very impactful in my life is when I went to corporate worship and I sat there and I, around me, I saw God's people praise him. 
worship him. And in that dynamic, that mysterious dynamic, that wonder dynamic of people's praising an unseen God, his spirit, his presence would be there. And you know what? I used to think, you know, I don't know what this is all about, but I definitely know there's something to that. That's real. That's real. I can sense and feel the presence of God here because God's saints are just worshiping him. And my vision is that, and you know what? I am so glad to be in a place where worship is important. My vision, I believe our vision, a core value of our church, is that we are a place where worship happens. There is freedom to worship. There is an atmosphere of worship. And we've come together uh, every Sunday, and man, we are just opening our hearts up to God, praising him, worshiping him, looking to him. Because we realize that deep within us, there is this vacuum to do that, right? You can. Look, guess what? In a few weeks, on Saturdays, college football starting. On Sundays, the NFL is going to be there. And guess what? There's going to be people that fill those stadiums. And guess what they're not going to do? Unless you're a Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> they're not just going to sit there right part of being a fan is they involve themselves they participate in that game they feel like that they actually being there create momentum and atmosphere for their team to do better and the other team to struggle right there's participation because there's a that's just inherent to who we are And we believe as believers that when we come and worship, it's a vacuum that's filled by God's presence and it's powerful and it re-energizes us. And we leave here once again being reminded that he is better and he's greater. He's more powerful. He knows where I am. He cares. I've sensed his presence and I'm re-energized to go out again into the week. And we believe that's a core value. You know, John Maxwell says, Most people don't lead their lives, they accept their lives. Most people don't lead their lives, they accept their lives. I would say a big amen to that. Most people are just, the life's just happening and they're just, instead, you know what worship calls us to do? To lead our lives. To put ourselves in a place where God blesses, moves, directs, guides, and does something with our lives. And worship is vital to that. Worship is not a spectator sport. Worship is a giving of ourselves to who he is. And my vision for this church would be a church so caught up in worship that the presence of God is always close. Our worship services are full of his presence. Our lives then become a testimony to his grace. As Rick Warren says in Genuine Worship, God's presence is felt, God's pardon is offered, God's purpose is revealed, and God's power is displayed. And I think that happens here, but guess what? I think God wants to continue and enlarge that, make that bigger. And I want it to be said of Nap Naz, you know what, those people there, there's something that happens when they get together. There's something that happens when they get together. And you know what that is? It's people whose hearts are open, wide open to God 
and his spirit and his presence just boom. It's a testimony to God's grace and goodness. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, to get together. Lord, we truly believe in this dynamic. It's worked in our lives, and I know what it's like to, to uh, not be in worship for a while and, and just, I'm missing something. I'm not, uh, you know, and Lord, you've created this rhythm, this habit for us. You've put us, you called us to this because you know it's how we're wired and that in that, you work out uh, your will in our lives. And Lord, you energize us through worship. Yes, we know worship is a lifestyle, but you specifically called us to corporately worship. Because together, together, we get energy and momentum from your spirit. So Lord, thank you that I, I'm in a place where I feel like this is important. But Lord, just continue to enlarge this. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be a vital component of what you want to do with us. Because I believe you have great plans for this church. And right at the core of that is we're going to be a worshiping church. A church that knows how to worship you. Lord, make it so. Continue to bless. Go with each one this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.